from KDNK Community Access Radio in Carbondale, Colorado in the United States, this is program 21 of the Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. When blind people go places, we don't experience things like our sighted friends. We don't see beautiful mountains or romantic sunsets. The goal of this program is to identify and even create experiences that are more meaningful for us or just more fun for us and our sighted traveling companions. Frequently, as people lose their eyesight, they become more and more isolated. The Tactile Traveler hopes to empower people not only to go literally around the world, but around the block to new adventures in their lives. Blind ranges from people who are visually impaired, and glasses and contact lenses no longer allows them to lead a normal life to people like me who are totally blind, to sighted parents who have a blind child, to blind parents who have sighted children, and blind parents with blind children, and people of all ages, interests, and physical abilities. On today's program, what to do if you're blind and get caught in a hurricane, free medical luggage, Help is on the way to making watching sports with friends more fun. And tactile art with Rishika Tartik. It's hurricane season in the United States and all of the countries and islands in the Atlantic Ocean. Officially, hurricane season runs from June 1st to December 1st. Typically, there are more hurricanes late in the summer and early fall. So, if you're blind or have any physical disability and are planning on visiting or live in places where they have hurricanes, it's important to plan on what to do if a hurricane shares your vacation with you. Because a lot of times, particularly on vacation, we think, I'm going on vacation and someone's going to be there who knows about hurricanes who can help me. and Really, the most effective response and um, resilient strategy for our own sustainability is for us to take that responsibility of preparing. That's Dawn Skaggs, an expert on how people with disabilities can plan for emergencies. I am the Emergency Preparedness Response and Recovery Disaster Resilience Specialist for the World Institute on Disabilities. Dawn says don't wait until arriving in hurricane country to figure out what to do in an approaching storm. The overarching message would be very simply, you can do this. We think of disasters as catastrophes that render us victims or survivors rather than thrivers. And by strategically taking action on our own behalf in steady state, planning for a disaster, not planning during a disaster. What that looks like, Nick, when we put boots to ground is really making a plan 
uh, preparing a go kit, whether that's from your home or from your hotel room, and and connecting with other people, people who can be resources or people that you know who know you and what your needs are. Really simple strategy of thinking about what you need, figuring out how to make that happen for you, and then putting your plan into action. Florida, which attracts the most visitors to places like Disney World, has one of the best systems for helping people with disabilities during disasters. Jeff Beeling coordinates Florida's programs. I'm with the Florida Department of Health, and I'm the ESF-8 Planning and Operations Manager. In Florida, we have two types of risk shelters, general population shelters and special needs shelters. And to support the special needs shelters, each county is charged with having a special needs registry where folks would go in and register to use a special needs shelter. There's also a statewide registry, you know, online registry that the Department of Health maintains, but not every county in Florida uses that registry. They have access to the data, though. Most often, the folks that need the special needs shelters are electrically dependent. Typically, they would have like an oxygen concentrator or some other electrical device that they needed to sustain themselves. The special needs shelters have generators so they can provide electricity. Jeff says call the emergency management department in the county in which you'll be staying. If you're blind or visually impaired, just need transportation to a regular shelter, they'll probably help you. In the state of Louisiana, counties are called parishes. In Alaska, they're called boroughs. And in Puerto Rico, they're called municipalities. A number of people refuse to evacuate or wait till the last minute to evacuate, which is too late. If you're blind, don't do that. Instead, evacuate as soon as you can. If it turns out to be unnecessary, you'll have something to tell your friends when you return home. If you're planning on visiting the western United States, you should have a plan for evacuating during forest fires and getting to cooling centers in extreme heat. Those states include Wyoming, Colorado, New Mexico, Utah, Arizona, Nevada, Oregon, California, and Washington State. Dawn says if you have unusual medical needs, Make sure in advance that the shelter you're going to has experience working with your unique needs. Jeff says be sure to bring everything you need to the shelter with you, from your luggage to medicine, food, and even sleeping bags if you have them with you. You're listening to The Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low-vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. If you're traveling by plane, train, bus, or cruise ship, you probably can carry medical supplies in addition to allowed luggage at no additional charge. It includes things like CPAP machines, home dialysis machines, and diabetes supplies. Crystal Booker is the spokesperson for Greyhound Bus Lines. 
medical luggage at Greyhound is actually not considered luggage, which is pretty interesting. So it's just considered medical equipment. So we don't even count it a part of our luggage counting on the bus. So um, that's one of the perks with riding with us. You can definitely bring whatever medical equipment you need. That means you can bring a suitcase full of dog food for your service dog so you won't have to worry about buying it at your destination. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anything you would need for your guide dog, that will be considered medical luggage. In addition to dog food, your suitcase can include water bowls, leashes, doggy bags, and grooming supplies. Airlines have similar policies because of U.S. Department of Transportation regulations. Under those regulations, an assistive device is any piece of equipment that assists a passenger with a disability to cope with his or her disability. Such devices are intended to assist a passenger with a disability to hear, communicate, or to perform other functions of daily life. Assisted devices include, but are not limited to, mobility aids, medical devices, and medications, among other things. Carriers must allow passengers with disability to bring assisted devices into the aircraft cabin, as long as they comply with certain security and safety standards, can be stowed in priority storage areas, overhead compartments, or under seat. Airlines must not count assisted devices as carry-on luggage. If an assisted device cannot be stowed in the aircraft cabin, carriers must stow the assisted devices in the luggage compartment at no extra charge. Further information can be found on the Office of Aviation Protection website. Each airline interprets them differently. Some airlines require proof of the medical needs for the things you're bringing with you. Others might require that your medical supplies fit in a suitcase that weighs no more than 50 pounds. Cruise ships have similar policies. But the best deal for any kind of luggage is Amtrak. Amtrak's Mark Magliari. So we talked about medical devices like walkers and scooters and those kinds of things. That's separate from baggage. No, if people need a mobility device to travel with, certainly we're not going to charge them to carry their mobility device. In addition to mobility equipment... It's probably the most generous uh, luggage policy in transportation. Every train we have accepts carry-on bags, and per individual, you can carry two carry-ons up to 50 pounds and two more carry-ons up to 25 pounds each. So that's 150 pounds per person of carry-on bags that we want people to use our trains and can use that service. Now, you should use, you know, suitcases and, and duffel bags, not tubs and garbage bags, but certainly if you are using the proper kinds of uh, material, like a lug, like luggage or duffel bags or so forth, and if you have two 50s and two 25s, each person can bring one of those aboard the train, and that's every train. There are Amtrak stations that aren't staffed in very small towns. They don't have facilities for checking luggage. 
but stations in bigger towns do. We have trains that take checked baggage. Checked baggage must travel between a station that takes checked baggage, like Gunwood Springs or Grand Junction, to another station that also has checked baggage, like Denver or Omaha or Chicago. And in that case, in addition to the 150 pounds of carry-on baggage, each checked bag can be 50 pounds each, and you get two of those. So when all is said and done, you can have, between checked baggage and carry-on baggage, 250 pounds of baggage per person. Now, most people don't carry that much, but there are a few that do, and for those that do, it's a pretty handy service. Before checking in on any of these modes of transportation, check their website and talk to a real person in their accessibility department, if they have one, or in luggage, so you don't have any surprises. If you're carrying on or checking luggage with medical supplies, make sure they only have medical supplies. For example, you can't throw in a couple of pair of socks, but you can put in support hose or stump socks for padding prosthetic legs. Eric Peterson, Lorraine Hutchinson, Alexandra Sham, Elizabeth Issam, and Brianne Childers helped with this story. You're listening to the Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. Going to a friend's house to watch the big game or having some buddies over to share the excitement with you or even just watching sports with your family is one of the most important ways people socialize all over the world. When you're blind, like my former roommate Brad Stevens, or visually impaired and watch a lot of sports on television, the announcers don't give you enough information to really know what's going on. Is they don't speak to you as a visually impaired person. They speak to you as you see what they see. Brand says radio sportscasters give us the information we need to follow what's happening. But he speaks to you as a blind person because he's a radio announcer. So everybody he speaks to is blind. And it makes it's like, oh, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And then you listen to him, and that dude rocks. He just says all the right things, and it makes total sense to a blind or visually impaired person. You just can't have your radio on when you're watching TV because there's a big delay between the radio and television signal that'll drive you nuts and make your friends hate you. And when something exciting happens, you can't expect your friends and relatives to take time out from banging their beer cans and either cheering or screaming at the television set to let you know what's going on. It would only take a few little things to make the difference. Saki Ashikawa, who just received her master's degree in engineering from New York University, is doing one of those things. She's created an app to help us follow what's going on without bugging everyone else in the room for her master's thesis. So I started with this topic when because I love watching sports and I always wanted to 
watch and enjoy sports games with my blind mother. Since sports viewing can rely heavily on visual information that's not fully accessible to people who are blind or visually impaired. Saki interviewed 43 people who are blind or visually impaired. Based on their feedback, she developed an iOS application that uses tactile feedback is play-by-play -play description. She chose tennis as the first sport to develop an app for. I chose tennis as a starting point because tennis is, the rule of tennis is simpler than, you know, football football or like ice hockey, there are like less players, there are like less actions, so I thought it's good to start with like a simple. Her app uses five different vibrations as play-by-play -play descriptions during tennis matches. She tested the app with four blind and visually impaired folks, and all of them understood which player got the point, and how they scored the point more accurately and confidently. They showed high satisfaction while watching tennis with the system and were very interested in adapting the system to other sports. So tactile feedback can be used as a new way of describing sports. So if you're not one of the lucky testers, you may have the app on your phone for the next Olympics and hopefully lots of sporting events in between. You're listening to The Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low-vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. Blind is the first element of art. A lot of people don't think of blind people as artists, including many blind people. Well, someone's changing that on a large scale. It's Risha Kakardik, both in person and on the internet. Blind people can definitely do art. Art is something for everyone. And I think the biggest way that blind people can do art is first not letting the public impression of art deter them. You know, when I came in, even as an artist, I was taught primarily visually, um, but that's not the case at all. There's so many materials such as sculpture or engraving, folding, different techniques that you can use to express artistic skills. Additionally, I feel like any blind person can pick up art by following materials that are more tactile, such as ceramics, and trying to follow along through those instructions because those aren't limited to you know, just visual senses. And if they want to learn about getting involved in art, I have instructions and everything on the website as well as the workshops that we conduct. Rishika says art is who you are for a lot of people. If you've never been exposed to art, either before you became blind or because you're blind, for many people, it's almost like coming out of the closet. But in this case, it's the art supplies closet. I would hope that people would be empowered to be themselves because through my workshops, I've realized the importance of creativity and imagination. Initially, I expected to have 12 workshops, maybe 20 people in total. And actually now we've impacted almost 736 blind individuals, people from all over the nation. And we've also had some people come internationally and had over 50 workshops. So this goes to show that one, 
blind people can do art and they can do anything that they set their mind to. And two, people shouldn't be afraid to express their unique voice, embrace their artistic side and chase their dreams. One of the most amazing part of the story is that Rishika is only 16 and she's been doing it for three years and it started as a high school service project. That was a wonderful incident that happened with both my community service organizer at my school and one of my acquaintances who was blind and visually impaired. I've always loved like interacting with people and I wanted to just get a new perspective besides what was in my school. So I asked my community service organizer at school if there's any additional places that I could go where I'd really get to work one-on-one with people. And she recommended that I talk to one of the students at our school who happened to be blind and visually impaired who did a lot of service. And it was through her that I got to know about Anchor Center for the Blind, Colorado Center for the Blind, and all these other lovely organizations. And once I went there, I think that's where the magic started. I really just fell in love with how independent people were, how empowered they were, and just how accepting the community was. And I think that's what drew me in. Ann Cunningham has been working in tactile art for 57 years and teaching it for 23. She says Rishika does a lot more than just helping people realize and develop their artistic and creative abilities. I've seen her in action and she's she's really effective at creating community and engaging people in a way that they are inter- they are learning techniques about art and also she's developed community that's communicable that's talking to each other. It's very social. So there's a lot of back and forth. It's very fun. It's very uh, welcoming and people are happy and feel safe to share their ideas and I think she's very effective. Rishika is surprised how popular her workshops have become. Initially I expected to have 12 workshops, maybe 20 people in total and actually now we've impacted almost 736 blind individuals and had over 50 workshops. So this goes to show that Blind people can do art, and they can do anything that they set their mind to. And two, people shouldn't be afraid to express their unique voice, embrace their artistic side, and chase their dreams. Best of all, her workshops are free, whether you go to them online or in person. To sign up, go to Rishika's webpage, rishikastudio.com. That's R-I-S-H-I-K-A. S-T-U-D-I-O dot C-O-M. Maybe you'll be artist 737. Lines were used to convey certain thoughts and emotions. So perhaps use horizontal, straight, curved lines. You're listening to the Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. Why it's my talking scale, reminding us that we'd like you to weigh in on how we're doing. Please send us an email to the tactile traveler at gmail.com. 
We spell Traveler the American way with one L. We'd also like to hear your story ideas from all over the world. Please send us an email with story ideas in the subject line to the tactile traveler at gmail.com. If you'd like to help underwrite this program, please send us an email with the underwriting in the subject line to the tactile traveler at gmail.com. Transcripts of this program are available for our deaf listeners by searching the tactile traveler in any search engine. This program is also being broadcast on the Audio Information Network of Colorado and in additional states. It's also available by typing the tactile traveler into any search engine and available wherever you get podcasts. And by asking your smart speaker to play the podcast, The Tactile Traveler, and a program number. We have had 21 shows. We'd like to thank the following people and organizations that helped make today's program possible. Be My Eyes Microsoft Accessibility Tech Support. The Microsoft Disabilities Answer Desk, Apple Accessibility Tech Support, Leslie Steffens, Lorraine Hutchinson, Sarah Williams, Sophia Williams, Debbie O'Leary, Lucas Turner, and Raleigh Burley. This has been the Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. This has been a production of KDNK Community Access Radio, Carbondale, Colorado.